You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness, and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader sits down with Kevin Kelly, founding executive editor of Wired Magazine, to discuss optimism, happiness, and some powerful proverbs and tips for living a successful and fulfilling life. Kevin Kelly is a writer, photographer, conservationist, and student of Asian and digital culture. In addition to his work as Wired's editor, he was an editor and publisher of the Whole Earth Review, and has also published multiple books of his own, including the most recent book, Excellent Advice for Living, Wisdom I'd Wish I'd Known Earlier. He is also co-chair of the Long Now Foundation, a membership organization that champions long-term thinking. Great to be together today on a wonderful topic, which is advice for living, actually excellent advice for living from a great writer, photographer, conservationist, and amazing optimism, actually radical optimism about the future, which is something we really need these days in this time where so many people have a vision that is more gloomy in a sense. But with all the knowledge and experience of the great Kevin Kelly, the founding executive editor of Wired magazine, he is with us with a book that is titled Excellent Advice for Living with 450 Modern Proverbs for Good Living. He's written many, many books, but this inspiration today makes us feel wonderful to be with you anyway at all levels. Kevin, it's a joy to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real privilege to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Wonderful. So the book started like nice advice to the family, some quotes here and there from what we have learned, what you have learned in life. And then these quotes grew up to become a book. It's interesting to know how this came about. And if you like to highlight some of the history behind it, and how you felt to share this wisdom for living better for individuals in such a precise way with beautiful quotes that are actually proverbs in many ways. Yeah, one person called it the Bible without stories. <laughs> so I, um, most advice is very wisely wrapped around stories because people remember stories and that's the best way to convey complicated things. So you'll find entire bookshelves in bookstores filled with advice books, and they all have stories. I'm not a very good storyteller. I like the telegraphic. I like to reduce things to their almost essential set of words. And when I'm, my own writing is fairly dense and compact. And so I gravitated to writing advice in a different way, which is just a collection of aphorisms or adages or proverbs. And that suits me. And so I 
endeavored to kind of take whole books of advice and reduce them down to a sentence. And that was uh, kind of my my joy in seeing if I could take what was complicated and long and make it into a, a tweet. And I thought that these serve more as reminders than anything. And I found for myself, writing them down in this compact way helped me to remember them so I could remind myself. So that's sort of the origin. As I was writing these down, trying to compact them into a proverb that I could repeat to myself to remind myself to change my behavior. And then I thought, though, well, you know, I would share this with my young adult children because I never really gave them much advice. But here were things I wished I'd known earlier. So here, here's a little package of a zip file. Uh, each one of these a little zip file you can unzip at your own way, uh, own leisure, and you can unpack it and 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 see how it could impact in your life. And that was the the purpose: is to kind of condense this into a zip file, hand it out to my kids, and they could unpack it. Beautiful. And you haven't like tried to categorize them into topics. It really flows in a very fresh way, in an unexpected way, you can go on relations, on business, on different aspects of uh, attending to one's life or dealing with others. So you prefer to have it a free-flowing kind of book. Yeah, that came out of my magazine background. I'd like to be surprised when I read a magazine. I like to turn a page and not knowing what's going to come next. I like that little hint of associate connection that you make in your own mind. So so these are arranged in that kind of an order where there is a little bit of an unexpected surprise for the next one. And that, I think, the joy of that offset whatever convenience there was in categorizing things. And first of all, a lot of them uncategorizable, so it didn't really help. I emphasize the the joy of like taking a walk through the woods or where you turn a corner and you don't even know you're not expecting the next little scene. You're not expecting the next little insight. And so that kind of delight was something I was trying to stress in this editing. Beautiful. It deals a lot with also when one goes through it with um, how to know how to listen how to know even how to learn from others who might oppose you and contrasting different values and ways of treating others. Uh, do you have any like proverb that is your favorite uh, or any quote that you like to highlight? So, yeah, there are lots there's 450 of them 450 children and you're asking me my favorite child out of 450 <laughs> children they're little bits here um i do have a favorite child in here and that is don't aim to be the best aim to be the only and that has to be impacted a little bit the problem with trying to be the best is that it's a very narrow it's going to be number one there's only one number one so you're kind of competing for a very, very small target. And there's a lot of competition for that. If you wanted to be the number best golfer in the world, or there's a lot of people trying to do that. If you wanted to be the best accountant, a lot of people trying to do that. 
And so the the alternative is to shift to becoming something that only you can do, or you only you can do well, or only that you enjoy doing, or nobody else even would think of doing. And that only is truthfully a much more difficult task. It's a very high bar. And when you're young, you're very unlikely to know what it is that you're passionate about or what you're good at. It's It'll take most of your life. And so what I say, this is not a, the only is not a destination. It's a kind of a direction that you're heading towards always. If you can at least be heading in that direction, you're headed in the right direction. Beautiful. And as long as we feel we are growing in life, there is more fulfillment. If we feel stagnating somewhere, then sometimes this creates an issue. So if one is growing in one's own uniqueness and identity of reality, whatever one has gifts and uh, whatever one has acquired, I guess this is in the direction of making yourself, whoever you are, that best uh, best for yourself from your perspective and the special person in whatever you, you are specifically constructed to be in this world for, I guess. Yeah, we, we, we all have a different face, even though the face is kind of a, you know, a, a pattern. But we all have different faces that we can recognize among billions and billions of people. We have different faces, different voices, different body moments. And we also have different talents and arrangements of abilities and experiences, which means that we can produce, create, make, help in unique ways. But the problem is, is that we have, we have, been inherited or we're given a very limited set of possible success stories. And we tend to think that success is often very related to how much money we have or other fame or other things, or, or that there's a certain occupation, certain way of being that we need to be successful at. And part of what be the only and not just the best is, is about is you kind of want to invent a new definition of success, your own definition of success. Success for you should not look like success for the number one basketball player because that's that's their movie. That's someone else's movie. You want to be in your own movie and the ending of your movie should be something up to you. And so you're kind of trying to redefine what success is and you know, if 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 you are, um, you know, if, if you're going somewhere that no one's gone before, what that might look like, success may not be evident or may not be obvious. It may, it may be a struggle and probably will be a struggle to kind of figure out what that looks like. So, so I think, yes, everybody is born with some unique combination of things and therefore we can expect from them a different view of the world, a different help a different gift and it'll take some work to kind of make that work for you in a sense of income or satisfaction and that's in part because part of that job is going to be inventing what your success looks like 
beautiful. I had a chance to discuss with someone else previously about the level of having, how much we have, because there are some yardsticks in society in general, uh, and depending on the society, uh, they put values on certain things. And we know that value in owning things and being wealthy and being successful in the financial arena has become also very, very important for people. And they often measure each other based on this kind of success. And the, the thought came, which I shared in the podcast, that we actually not really aiming to own more ultimately, even this is what we think we want. But what we want, if we want to look at it, since this is the, the central theme of one of the most salient proverbs, uh, we want to look at the common denominator, if you like, of what creates happiness, fulfillment, growth, the sense of well-being, a life well-lived, and all of that. And what do you think about saying that it's not really owning more, but being more that is important? That we yeah. actually want to be more than what we think uh, we have been before and constantly grow. And growing in what? Mainly growing in awareness, growing in understanding, growing in consciousness, but also could be growing in specific values as we are discussing being a golfer or being something else. Yeah, I have, you know, 450 little bits of advice in this book. And one of them is that um, don't work to acquire, work to become. Beautiful. Yes. And, and, and the happiness researchers, the scientists who study and research happiness and contentment have proven again and again, looking at people from all over the world, that very rarely do possessions make people happy. But if you're going to spend money on something, don't spend it on possessions, spend it on experiences. And those are the kinds of things that generally bring more satisfaction than than, than a possession does. And I have a bit of advice. The only, the only person who's impressed with your possessions is yourself. Nobody is impressed with your possessions. If you see some guy step out of a Porsche, you're not thinking, oh, uh, he, he must be an amazing guy. You're thinking, what's his, what's this, what's going on with him? And so, um, so I think, yeah, w w work to become. And one of the another bits of advice that I have in the book is this idea that um, whenever you're struggling with the question of what should I do next, you really want to turn it on to the question of what should I become? What do I want to become? Because it's becoming that's that's really the the the, the main thing. And I had another bit of advice, which was attend as many funerals as you can, <laughs> because you'll be amazed at what is said or not said about the departed. No no one's talking about the departed's five books that they wrote and the, the patents that they have on the wall and the fact that they own three cars or whatever. No, no, no. They're not talking about that. They're talking about what they became, who they were, what they were like, whether they were kind, how they made you feel. That's That's the journey that you're on. And so we need 
we need possessions and things to help us get us there. I have a friend who says it's like gasoline. You need gas in your car to get you to the destination, but the destination is not the gas stations. You're not going around collecting how much gas you can get. Beautiful. The gas is to get you there. So you need possessions and stuff, but they're just instruments to become something. Beautiful. And besides, you know, we're commenting a lot on one proverb, but it's so yeah. central, you highlighted it. Those who feel are the best, they don't seem to have a rounded happiness or sense of success. For example, if you take the best golfer as an example you have used, or some of the wealthiest people or some of the best players in something, and you look at their life and you see that it's not enough. So it's not in itself for something specific. It must be great. And it is absolutely a great achievement. And to be the only one in one way or the other is fantastic. But there is more to life and living than achieving a certain position. Because we yeah. see people in those top layers of the world and then you a little bit scratch in their personal life and their situation and their relations and all of that. And you see that there is a lack still. There is something missing. They have not necessarily become more, which is great by itself, the best in one thing or the other. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, well, first of all, I would say greatness is overrated. Or, I mean, th th that's my, my, my experience hanging around people who have a certain level of, um, of greatness, which is overrated in the sense that it's, it's a, um, the cost, there's a huge cost. They're, they're great, they're great virtues mean that they also have great weaknesses and they're kind of paired in that sense. But, but, you know, let me put it this way. They've achieved some level of success by their own definition. But here's the thing is, is that they, no matter you know how old they are, they're still asking the same questions that you or I are asking, which is, what do I want to become? And the thing about that is that, that, that you're asking that question your entire life, or you should be asking that question. What, am I, am I, why am I still doing this? What do I want to become? How do I grow? Where am I going? And here's the thing, having a billion dollars does not answer that question. Right. Right. You have a billion dollars. You still, you still saying, well, what am I doing next? What's, how am I growing? Where am I going? And, and, and they are, you know, a lot of those billionaires are, are, they're smart people. They're aware, they're, they're enlightened, but it's just that you have to understand that a billion dollars does not answer that question. Beautiful. It actually makes it harder to answer in some ways. Yeah. And so, so, so they still have to go through that process of, and, and their possessions don't help them in that. They might hinder it, but they're certainly not helping. And so, um, so we're all kind of on that lifelong journey of trying to decide who we are, who we are really, why we're here, what we're for. And, and, and as far as I can tell, that is the purpose of our life. Our life the purpose of our life is to figure out the purpose of our life. It's sort of a weird paradox. <laughs> Doesn't really sound very satisfying, but the purpose of our life is to figure out the purpose of our life. And, you know, I mean, there are other things as well, but, but it's, it's an ongoing process 
that um, everybody is involved in, even those who seem like they have succeeded. And that's what I'm trying to emphasize. Even those who seem like they have everything, they're still working on that same problem of what do I become? Beautiful. You know, what do I become? Also, I raised many questions about who am I? You also said that uh, as you just described it. Who am I and where am I going? What's the purpose and the meaning of life? Where are we here? Where we're going? And mostly people think because we are talking about possessions, etc. But most, mostly people think that this becoming is something external in a sense, almost. Uh, in a sense, I want to become the best of this, the best of that, the only of this, the only of that. But they think of it in terms of the outer side of things, which means projecting ourselves through our senses, through our intellect, through our mind, to the world we know, and comparing our reality and seeing what in this physical reality we can do and we can become as a function, as a role in society, as an ability, as a possibility, and all of that. Whereas in, in my research and focus, it's more an internal process of discovering oneself, as we know, the famous quote, uh, which, <laughs> you know, one of those proverbs and quotes, which is know thyself, and which is always being reminded by to us, reminding us from different wise people, such as yourself and your experience, that there is an internal path also. Uh, and that path from my perspective is, and that's not only my perspective, of course, it comes from different traditions and knowledge, is the development of consciousness, the development of awareness, because ultimately we live our life through our awareness and all of the things we see, we experience, we think about are seen through the screen of our awareness because without awareness, without consciousness, nothing has any meaning. I agree, yeah. So it's, it's beautiful. And life offers us many things, joys and pains, and pains and joys will be there and can be there. And you beautifully say that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And as a radical optimist, I think we can address this as the world goes through different situations, circumstances that we face and say to our listeners to the world, as you do beautifully, that suffering is not necessary. And maybe this is something in the context of optimism of for the future, but for individual life also. Yeah, it's it came actually, th th this observation came from the fact that we are going to actually program into robots and AI's pain. And you would think, well, why would you do that? Well, pain as a signal is very, very useful. The robot, it prevents, you know, that's why animals have pain. It's to prevent the use of something that's not working so you don't make it worse. So you have a signal that says, I can't use my leg. 
I'm going to limp or whatever, favor the leg, other leg, because it's injurious. It's best for me not to. And the only way that you're going to pay attention to that is if you get this signal saying, don't use the leg. And we're doing the same thing with, with robots is, is, is basically give them pain, but we don't want them to suffer. And suffering is probably something where I think it's, it's, it's like changing your horizon, which is that pain is something that um, is not our identity. It's not about us. It's not something that is, is it is an external in a certain sense, external signal. Whereas one of the things that child psychologists know about teaching optimism, because there's something called learned optimism, which is that they understand that setbacks, the, the optimistic child understands setbacks are only temporary. That's not your identity. It's not that you are an unlucky person or that you are inherently bad or you inherently are broken in some senses. No, that it's 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 an external, outside, temporary thing that can be overcome. And the same thing, pain is something that can be overcome, whereas suffering is much more something that's part that becomes in a part of an identity or something that you see yourself as responsible or or not responsible, but something that you're responsible for overcoming. And so I think the idea that taking a longer horizon is one of the one of the ingredients for becoming more optimistic. You take a longer view both of the past and the future. The past meaning that um, we understand that if you take a long view, you can you can understand that that the progress is real. If you take the long view, you can you can withstand even fairly large setbacks because if you can keep growing just a few percent a year, that compounded over time can produce great overcoming of of even a large setback. And so, and so I think suffering is a little bit more. It's a shorter viewpoint. It's 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 not bound with the long term to understand that it's something that we can, the pain is something we can overcome. Yeah. The the hurt, the injury, the trauma, those are all things that are overcomable as bad as they may seem, particularly in the long view. Beautiful suffering is a, is a complex emotion, intellect, interpretation of the one situation, one's life, right, right. a number of things. Whereas pain is a very adaptive, important factor. You know, right. there are people who are born with, uh, you know, lack of pain receptors or pain fibers, C fibers or other fibers genetically. They don't feel pain. And typically, they die early, they injure themselves, and all of that. So, you know, if we don't have pain, we can burn our finger and see, oh, this is great, it is melting, and <laughs> it is nice, <laughs> because you don't feel anything. And you put your hand on a stove, you don't feel it, and your hand is destroyed. So pain is is very important mechanism to tell us what is there to to be careful about and other things. And if we are able in our consciousness, in our awareness, to be established in the self, in our own self, and have anchoring in our being, 
that's why we teach transcendental meditation, which is a very simple technique, mental technique that allows the people to transcend, which means to go beyond all these faulty interpretations about reality. And in this ancient knowledge and wisdom, it talks about equanimity, which means maintaining the self on a stable level, even when there is either even joy or pain, because one is beyond that and one's own consciousness, one's own reality, one's own being is beyond that. And pain is just a message to be careful about things that can happen to us and avoid them uh, so that we can grow in the best possible way. I agree. Yeah. Beautiful. What other proverbs we have to... The future. What about the future? You talked about artificial intelligence. It's a big thing right now with all the chat, GPT, and all these other things that are coming up that show us that there is greater intelligence in the machine, actually. And how we deal, how we deal with that. Do you have thoughts about... Because you mentioned artificial intelligence. Yeah, I think we're just at the beginning. I think we don't even know what human intelligence is. And that's part of the challenge right now in trying to discuss artificial intelligence is that, well, we don't even know what, what we do, how we do it. I think we have a misguided idea that intelligence equals IQ, that it's a single dimension, when it's very clear that it is multiple dimensions, multiple types of cognition, and they can't be reduced to a single number, which is one of the, the one of the mistakes that the people who believe in kind of the AI is taking over is that they think it's just like a, a decibel. One thing can be superior to the other. But in fact, there are many, many varieties of AIs, plural, just as there are many kinds of thinking in our own brains. And um, we are just still at the dawn, at day one, in terms of that, that there's really no experts in figuring out what it is that we do. So in order for us to go further, we, uh, as a society, should just be using these as much as possible to understand their plus and minuses. I think the... Um, you shouldn't worry about the employment thing. That's that's not really gonna that's not gonna be an issue. There are plenty of other issues, but employment is really not one of them. I think that um, if you're in school, you should be using these as much as possible because I think it's going to become part of how people hire in the future, particularly in the kind of knowledge workers. Is is how well do you use AIs? How comfortable are you in? How familiar with you then? talking to them, communicating with them, that will be a skill that will become very, very important. And so um, you should be using them as much as you can right now. That also will help you decide to have an opinion about them. A lot of people have opinions about AIs who've never used them, which is sort of crazy. So I, I think we're going to be on an ongoing basis of learning about these. So far, these AIs have only synthesized one kind of thinking that we do, which is pattern recognition, deductive reasoning, symbolic reasoning, all these things we have not synthesized yet. We don't, AI cannot do those yet, which is to my point that we're just at the very, very beginning of what these can do and will do. And I've been using AIs 
for years and now recently every day or for um, a year. And I can say already see the limits of this particular set, which is only to say that no matter what AIs will be using, they will have limits. They will have trade-offs about what they can do and can't do. And so my to end my aunt rant, the, the, the best relationship or the best framework for understanding our, how we're going to relate to AIs is to think of them as partners, as interns, as assistants, as teammates. It's this idea that we're going to work together. Okay, so the best, the best medical diagnosis is today, a human doctor is better than an AI doctor, but a human plus an AI doctor is better than both a doctor and an AI. Okay, and so it's that combination of the two, of the human working with the different AIs, of the pilot, the pilot plus AI is better than the pilot or the AI. The 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 um the chess player, the chess player, the human grandmaster plus the AI is better than either the AI or the 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 human human. So that's where we're going to. So think of these right now we have universal personal interns. We have these chat GPTs are like interns. You want to check their work, but we're going to, well, they'll get better and they'll be much more like, we'll be like what I call artificial aliens. They'll be like really, really smart, like a Spock on, on Star Trek, who's really smart, but he's thinking differently. And that's the whole purpose. That's when we want them together. So, so that's the relationship that we're going to be having with these going forward is assistance, guides, co-pilots, partners, this idea that we're going to be working with them and you want to get good at working with them. That's beautiful. We also want to necessarily guide them in the right direction because yep. assuming all the things that they cannot do today, they'll be going to do. And I must confess, I never expected that in these few years, we will have just on the internet something as flexible and as capable of some of these AIs from OpenAI and others that we have been able to experience where they can analyze in such a short time, huge factors and numbers of things. For example, you know, if you want to do a crop, uh, when should the crop be done? If now the AI is able to analyze the weather, analyze the market conditions, analyze the requirements, the demands and the offers and all of that, it can guide the farmer, for example, of when to plant, what seed, what kind of fruits, what kind of seeds or other, you know, products should be planted. And therefore, with such a wide and huge variety of information and knowledge, they can be guiding. And one has a difficulty to say no to uh, such a complex data gathering and analysis uh, when one's intelligence or capability as a human is only limited to one's own consciousness, ability to know, awareness of things. And if that awareness is limited, uh, then the AI will be imposing certain things. Now, this is fine if we know how to use it, but imagine all of this in a situation where a human start guiding the AI 
to war, for example, to uh, hack the others, to uh, destroy the others, or to fight or to use even military power in certain ways uh, with certain intelligence. And this is where uh, I feel what we need is to increase human awareness, human consciousness, and become a society or many or a world that is unified, that has higher purposes, that looks at uh, the future, as you mentioned, not only on a short term, but on the longer term basis, not only on very limited individual ability to gain, but to include the world as one family. And I feel that it's very important to raise collective consciousness, uh, awareness, so that we don't get into into, uh, using AI or guiding AI or directing it in ways that can be harmful for the future of humanity. Yeah. But we can be optimistic. <laughs> you you want to tell us a little bit about the term radical optimism because you have used this before and for the future and on what basis we can have such optimism. Yeah, I call myself a radical optimist because actually what, what uh, I think, you know, optimism can be I think there's natural levels of optimism. Some people, like myself, are a little bit more naturally gravitating towards an optimistic view. But but I believe that 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 optimism is actually a skill that you can get better at. So I have deliberately become more optimistic as I get older. And that is so I have I have chosen to increase my my skill, my propensity, and my outlook to be more optimistic. And uh, that has come primarily from both my reading of history as it became, as I thought more about the future, I read more history. And it was really evident if you look carefully, impartially at the evidence that the progress is real and that the optimists have built most of what we have today. It was in the past, seemed improbable and unlikely, and somebody believed that it was possible, and that's how it came to be. And anything good in the future that we make is going to be complicated and hard. Say like, you know, AI, AIs that work, that we want. And it's going to require somebody today to imagine that 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 future and believe that's, that that future, that good future could happen. And they'll make it. And so that's the only way we're going to build things in the in the future is believing in the kind of an optimistic view today but i also believe that an optimistic view can help us to think generationally and 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 for the long term that you know they call it long-termism the idea that most of the people um who will live have yet been unborn there'll be far more people in the future than than in the past and so we can think generationally and we can actually engage in things that like just as we've benefited today from things that people have built in the past and things that may not have even been completed in their own generation that we now benefit from we can also be engaged in making things that may not pay off until another generation 
Okay. And so we're kind of passing forward that, that blessing. And so um, that requires a kind of optimism. So I, I say in, in, in brief that I'm optimistic, not because I think that we have fewer problems than we think or that they're smaller, because I acknowledge the problems. They're real. I am optimistic because I think our capacity for solving problems is increasing faster than we think. That we actually have more ability to solve problems, not because there's fewer problems. And that that's what's really going. That's where my optimism ultimately lies, is the fact that we can trust the future as we can keep increasing our ability to solve problems. Increasing our awareness, our consciousness, improving our perspective. Uh, we, we see this in the world, that there is a rise in consciousness. Countries help each other. Everybody wants to protect the environment, wants to do that. And when there is a concern, let's say, about AI, people ask questions. And as you say, maybe we should include pain in the AI so that it doesn't go overboard. It knows its limits. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, humankind has evolved in a, in a nice way, uh, although there are still lots of limitations and sometimes issues such as wars and conflicts that still arise, misunderstanding problems on economic level, uh, priorities being wrong and all of that. But overall, it looks like there is a trend of uh, that which is, let's call it life supporting or evolutionary gets selected, even if we take it from a simple selection perspective, a Darwinian one even, that the, the most suitable, the most fit will kind of always come up. And if there is a trend in evolution, it's wonderful to be optimistic. And that is not only on the intellectual analytical level, but also on the feeling level, on the, the relationships. And this is where we can shift a little from intellectually analyzing the things to one of your coach, which says, whenever you have a choice between uh, being right or being kind, be kind. <laughs> no exceptions. You add this to make sure. <laughs> Don't right. confuse kindness with weakness. And uh, this is beautiful because that's the nourishing power that contributes to more unifying feeling with others. But I I'd like to hear more about this from you. Yeah, kindness is, I think, part of my um, optimistic view. The reason why I become more optimistic is because as I've gotten older, I have changed my mind about what I was taught in school, which was that the basic default of human nature was selfishness. And this idea that people were basically selfish and maybe at the core, not reliable or not trustworthy, whatever, that they would lie, cheat, or steal uh, as the default. And that, that, that civilization kind of put a veneer on that or kind of tempered that. But, but actually what I've come to believe is that basically the basic human nature is selflessness is wanting to help is that, that we have evolved to be very, very collaborative and socially helpful people. And that that is 
the the natural default given all things being equal and therefore there is a kind of 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 basic generosity to the world and 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 the world of abundance meaning that if you at all make it easy for people they will treat you great that you can trust strangers okay and that if you occasionally are cheated by somebody or robbed that it's a small tax that you should be willing to pay in exchange for the tremendous amount of good that you'll get. Because when you treat people as the best, they will give you their best. And so you can experience the abundance of the universe and the abundance of human interactions by trusting people, by being selfless. It's kind of really weird that there is this paradox at the very foundation of the universe, which is that the most selfish thing you can do is to be generous. <laughs> that the more you give, the more you get. Mathematically, that does not add up because if it's true for everybody, where is that all coming from? Okay, but there it is. It's This is how the world works. I mean, really. And I, I think that's what I've sort of changed my mind about is, is to kind of see that human kindness is actually part of humankind. Right, that that's the basic thing, and so, and so you can be what I call other people call pronoian. That you, that paranoia is where you believe everything is conspiring, conspiring against you. Pronoia is where you believe the universe is trying to help you succeed. And so, that sense of that the default bias of the universe is towards kindness, is towards generosity towards abundance at least in this part of the universe that we're in this human constructed civilization if you can align yourself with that it's tremendously powerful because you're riding the wave you're 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 in align with the general movement of the universe which is rewarding that kindness and generosity and, and abundance and so People struggle their lives, particularly those who are starting off with very little, to, to understand it. But I've seen it with my own eyes. In the poorest parts of the world, the laws still are the same. Those who align themselves with that kind of general bias of, of the universe prosper better, even though they started off with almost nothing. So that's what you detect in those bits about kindness be it's better to be kind and right is because you are aligning yourself with that general bias in the universe beautiful besides who says you are really right <laughs> it's always sometimes so sure. so much a perspective on what is right in what circumstance sure. under what situation from whose perspective from what angle and you know there are many questions about it but this is this is really beautiful and it, it so happened that i've discussed this also in my book one unbounded ocean of consciousness where i say that there is an ocean of consciousness that is absolutely infinitely balanced and it starts with just the flatness of being and how does creation emerge creation is whenever you create a fluctuation in that field so you create a plus then you get a minus and that's how 
the total remains balanced in a sense. And that's how you get the basis of action and reaction. So I get asked the question, what do you mean action and reaction and everything has its opposite and is balanced? Let's say I give somebody, you know, as you mentioned, 10%, you mentioned in another quote, and then you lose 10% when you give this 10%. But you have done something good. Does it mean to balance this, something bad has to happen to you? And what is the logic about it? And my usual response to that is, when, when you give something, you have lost something. From your perspective, you lost something. And therefore, to balance that, you have to be kind of paid back if you want to maintain the balance. So that is the basis of what's generally called karma and action and reaction. But in this case, it's not the good action has to be balanced by some bad action. To the contrary, you give 10% or you give $100 to somebody or whatever amount. And you lost that. So what is the debt in nature, if you like, in life that has to be balanced? And that is to give you back the action that you've done. And that is just one way to explain how kindness gets paid back. Because when you're kind, you're actually giving something. And you mentioned in another quote, think of, if you give 10%, think of the 110% that the other person got. So there, there are a number of these, these aspects that are very interesting to consider, even from a cosmic dynamic, not just on our humankind level and, and earthly experience. Yeah, I agree. Beautiful. We're coming towards the end, and I like to ask you if you would like to highlight any special quotes, points that you want to share that are like the first one we started with or anything else you want to highlight from this wonderful book? Yeah, well, thank you. You know, just thinking maybe advice again of advice I wish I'd known earlier. There is two things I would say for, for people who are listening. One is if the thing that made you weird as a kid may actually be something that make you great as an adult if you don't lose it. And, and, and there's a tendency in in our system right now to kind of hammer out any kind of weirdness or strangeness that you might have growing up, but you actually want to retain that. I'm, I'm always thinking of this, um, of a couple of people who they were like, they were guys, teenagers who were into puppets and people thought they were totally weird, but they became, you know, Jim Henson and the Muppets and the guy who did Elmo and big bird. They never lost that, strange weird fascination with puppets and they're you know and they became great in, in in that sense and so there's also if you can all afford when you're growing when you're in kind of a college age years maybe right after college spend amount of time a year six months in doing something that looks nothing like success it should be weird strange <laughs> maybe dangerous, risky, uh, hard to explain, unprofitable, just something that looks nothing like success. And that can become later on something that will be a touchstone for you in your own journey, in your own 
experiences and maybe your own success because it helps it'll help you again redefine what success is so you're not really following someone else's playbook you're not imitating someone else and that and that deliberate practice of trying not to look successful or do something that is remotely like success will give you a power and a place and a perspective to then pursue something that would be genuine later on so kind of to end my last bit of advice is the last bit of advice in the book which is you want you want to be able to say on the day before you die that you've truly become yourself and that's that's a goal that i'm aiming for and again it'll take most of our lives to get there and we don't really arrive it's just a general direction but you want to i'm headed in that direction i hope everybody else can too i really thank you for your interest in my book i know from parents have told me that look my kids don't listen to what i say but i can point to this book and they'll read this book so that's been a really great <laughs> idea so um i appreciate your interest in it thank you for having me and giving me this time wonderful thank you for sharing these points for sharing this uh, great pearls of wisdom uh, with everyone in your book it's such a caring thing you did it for your own family your own children and uh, you felt that the world is my family that is the, okay. yeah. <laughs> the expansion of the self with such Good. optimism and that is in my mind actually if we want to take it to that level the purpose of what we are here yeah. is that we as we search for who we are and why we are what's the meaning of life and in my heart in my mind it is to discover that we are everything we are the ocean yeah. of being we are everyone and that kindness that openness that desire to help that sense of the world is my family is really a direction of living in a unity state of awareness which is the ultimate discovery of who we are which is we are that unbounded ocean of consciousness know that to be yourself know the kingdom of heaven within you all the great sages the even teachers prophets and all of that has directed us in this direction so kevin it's a joy to have you thank you so much i really appreciate it great all the best thank you for tuning into dr tony nader the podcast and if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.